Volume Two, Chapter Twelve of the Vicar of Rexhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vicar of Rexhill by Francis Milton Trollope, Volume Two, Chapter Twelve, The Vicar's Progress and His Counsel to Fanny as to the Best Means of Assisting the Poor. When the family assembled at dinner and Mrs. Mowbray perceived the place of her son vacant, she changed colour and appeared discomposed and absent during the whole time she remained at table. This, however, was not long for a very few minutes after the cloth was removed, she rose, and saying, "'I want you, Fanny,' left the room with her youngest daughter, without making either observation or apology to those she left. The result of this conference between the mother and daughter was the dispatching a note to the vicarage, which brought the vicar to join them with extraordinary speed. Mrs. Mowbray then related with a good deal of emotion the scene which had taken place between herself and her son in the morning, concluding it with mentioning his absence at dinner, and her fears that in his unregenerate state of mind he might be led to withdraw himself altogether from a home where godliness had begun to reign and where by the blessing of heaven it would multiply and increase every day that they were spared to live when she had concluded mr cartwright remained for several minutes silent his eyes fixed upon the carpet his arms folded upon his breast and his head from time to time moved gently and sadly to and fro as if the subject on which he was meditating were both important and discouraging at length he raised his eyes and fixed them upon fanny my dear child he said withdraw yourself and pray while your mother and i remain together pray for us fanny pray for both of us that we may so do the duty appointed unto us as what we may decide to execute shall redound to the glory of heaven and to our everlasting salvation world without end amen fanny rose instantly and clasping her innocent hands together fervently exclaimed i will i will having opened the door and laid his delicate white hand upon her head whispering an ardent blessing as she passed through it he watched her as she retreated with a rapid step to her chamber anxious to perform the duty assigned her and then closing and bolting it after her he returned to the sofa near the fire and seated himself beside mrs mowbray my friend said mr cartwright taking her hand my dear dear friend you are tried you are very sorely tried but it is the will of the lord and we must not repine at it rather let us praise his name alway i do ejaculated the widow with very pious emotion i do praise and bless his holy name for all the salvation he hath vouchsafed to me a sinner and to my precious fanny with me oh mr cartwright it is very dear to me to think that i shall have that little holy angel with me in paradise but be my guide and helper and here the good and serious lady very nearly returned the pressure with which her hand was held oh be my guide and helper with my other misguided children tell me dear mr cartwright what must i do with charles it is borne in upon my mind my dear and gentle friend that there is but one chance left to save that deeply peddled soul from the everlasting gulf of gnawing worms and of eternal flame is there one chance exclaimed the poor woman in a real ecstasy oh tell me what it is and there is nothing in the world that i would not bear and suffer to obtain it he must abandon the profession of arms and become a minister of the gospel oh mr cartwright he will never consent to this from his earliest childhood his unhappy and unawakened father taught him to glory in the thought of fighting the battles of his country and with the large fortune he must one day have is it not possible that he might be tempted to neglect the cure of souls and then you know mr cartwright that the last state of that man would be worse than the first mr cartwright dropped the lady's hand and rose from his seat i must leave you then he said his rich voice sinking into a tone of the saddest melancholy i must not 
i may not give any other counsel for in doing so i should betray my duty and betray the confidence you have placed in me adieu then beloved friend adieu for ever my heart the weak and throbbing heart of a man is even now heaving in my breast that heart will ever forbid my speaking with harshness and austerity to you therefore beloved but too feeble friend adieu should i stay longer with you that look might betray me into forgetfulness of everything on earth and heaven too the last three words were uttered in a low and mournful whisper he then walked towards the door turned to give one last look and having unfastened the lock and shot back the bolt was in the very act of departing when mrs mowbray rushed towards him exclaiming oh do not leave us all to everlasting damnation save us save us tell me only what to do and i will do it in the extremity of her eagerness terror and emotion she fell on her knees before him and raising her tearful eyes to his seemed silently to reiterate the petition she had uttered mr cartwright looked down upon her turning away for one short instant to rebolt the door and then raising his eyes to heaven and dropping on his knees beside her he threw his arms around her impressed a holy kiss upon her brow exclaiming in a voice rendered tremulous as it should seem by uncontrollable agitation oh never never after a few moments unavoidably lost by both in efforts to recover their equanimity they rose and reseated themselves on the sofa the handkerchief of mrs mowbray was at her eyes she appeared greatly agitated and totally unable to speak herself sat in trembling expectation of what her reverend friend should say next it was not immediately however that mr cartwright could recover his voice but at length he said it is impossible my too lovely friend that we can either of us any longer mistake the nature of the sentiment which we feel for each other but we have the comfort of knowing that this sweet and blessed sentiment is implanted in us by the will of the lord and if it be sanctified to his honour and glory it becometh the means of raising us to glory everlasting in the life to come wherefore let us not weep and lament but rather be joyful and give thanks that so it hath seemed good in his sight mrs mowbray answered only by a deep sigh which partook indeed of the nature of a sob and by the continued application of her handkerchief it appeared that she wept freely mr cartwright once more ventured to take her hand and that she did not withdraw it seemed to evince such a degree of christian humility and such a heavenly-minded forgiveness of his presumption that the pious feelings of his heart broke forth in thanksgiving praise and glory to the lord alway he exclaimed your suffering sweetness dearest clara loveliest of women most dearly beloved your suffering sweetness shall be bruised no more let me henceforward be as the shield and buckler that shall guard thee so that thou shalt not be afraid for any terror by night nor for the arrow that flieth by day and tell me most beloved does not thy spirit rejoice and is not thy heart glad even as my heart that the lord hath been pleased to lay his holy law upon us even upon thee and me oh mr cartwright replied the agitated mrs mowbray i know not what i can i know not what i ought to do may heaven guide me for alas i know not how to guide myself and fear not clara but he will guide thee for he hath made thee but a little lower than the angels and hath crowned thee with glory and honour and tell me thou highly favoured one doth not thy own heart teach thee that heart being taught of him that i am he to whom thou shouldst look for comfort now in the time of this mortal life speak to me sweet and holy clara tell me am i deceived in thee or art thou indeed and wilt thou indeed be mine 
if i shall sin not by doing so i will mr cartwright for my spirit is too weak to combat all the difficulties i see before me my soul trusts itself to thee be thou to me a strong tower for i am afraid think you clara that he who has led you out of darkness into the way of life would now for the gratification of his own earthly love become a stumbling-block in thy path my beloved friend how are you to wrestle and fight for and with that misguided young man who hath now even now caused you such bitter sufferings he is thine therefore he is dear to me let me lead him even as i have led thee and his spirit too as well as thine and fanny's shall rejoice then be it so exclaimed mrs mowbray promise me only to lead helen also into life everlasting and not to leave the poor benighted rosalind for ever in darkness and i will consent mr cartwright to be your wife nothing could be more satisfactory than the vicar's answer to this appeal and had not the good mrs mowbray been too generous to exact a penalty in case of failure there can be little doubt but that he would willingly have bound himself under any forfeiture she could have named to have ensured a place in heaven not only to all those she mentioned but to every individual of her household the scullion and stable-boys included the great question answered of to be or not to be the husband of mrs mowbray the vicar began to point out to her in a more composed and business-like manner the great advantages both temporal and spiritual which must of necessity result to her family from this arrangement and so skilfully did he manage her feelings and bend her mind to his purpose that when at length he gave her lips the farewell kiss of affianced love and departed he left her in the most comfortable and prayerful state of composure imaginable in about ten minutes after he was gone she rang her bell and desired that miss fanny might come to her when without exactly telling her the important business which had been settled during the time she passed upon her knees she gave her to understand that mr cartwright had probably thought of the only means by which all the unhappy disagreements in the family could be settled indeed mamma i prayed for him said fanny lifting her eyes to heaven i prayed most earnestly that heaven might bring him wisdom to succour you according to your wish and therein to heal all our troubles and your prayers have been heard my dear child and it hath sent him the wisdom that we all so greatly needed have they had tea in the drawing-room fanny i don't know mamma i have been kneeling and praying all the time then my dear you must want refreshment go down and tell them that i am not quite well this evening and shall therefore not come down again but they may send me some tea by curtis i hope you are not very ill my dearest mother said fanny looking anxiously at her no dear not very ill only a little nervous while these scenes passed at mowbray park poor charles was relieving his heart by relating without reserve what had passed between him and his mother his first words on entering the library where sir gilbert and lady harrington were seated were have you sent that letter to oxford sir gilbert yes i have was the reply but why do you inquire charles because if you had not i would have begged you to delay it and why so in replying to this question young mowbray told all that had passed observing when his painful tale was ended that such being his mother's decision he intended to apply immediately to corbold for the money he wanted not you by jove charles you shall do no such thing i tell you what knuckle and truckle to this infernal gang of hypocrites you shall do no such thing just let me know all that is going on in the garrison and if i don't counterplot them i am a dutchman puff not up your heart sir knight with such vain conceit said lady harrington you will plot like an honest man and the tartuffe will plot like a rogue i leave you to guess which will do the most work in the shortest time nevertheless you are right to keep him out of the way of these people as long as you can 
notwithstanding the heavy load at his heart which mowbray brought with him to oakley before he had passed an hour with his old friends his sorrows appeared lighter and his hopes from the future brighter and stronger sir gilbert though exceedingly angry with mrs mowbray still retained some respect for her in spite of all his threatening hints to the contrary he no more believed that the widow of his old friend would marry herself to the rev william jacob cartwright than that he when left a widower by my lady should marry the drunken landlady of the three tankards at ramsden he therefore spoke to charles of his present vexatious embarrassment as of all the evils that must naturally clear away requiring only a little temporary good management to render them of very small importance to him of helen's situation however lady harrington spoke with great concern and proposed that she and miss torrington should transfer themselves from the park to oakley as soon as charles joined his regiment and there remained till mrs mowbray had sufficiently recovered her senses to make them comfortable at home before the young man left them it was settled that colonel harrington should immediately exert himself to obtain the commission so long promised a service in the performance of which no difficulty was anticipated as the last inquiries made on the subject at the horse-guards were satisfactorily answered meanwhile said the baronet as he wrung his hand at parting give not way for one single inch before the insolent interference of those canters and ranters remember who and what you are and that you have a friend who will make the country too hot to hold any one male or female who shall attempt to shake or shackle you in your natural rights treat your mother with the most perfect respect and politeness but make her understand that you are your father's son and that there is such a thing as public opinion which on more occasions than one has been found as powerful as any other law of the land cheer the spirits of the poor woebegone girls as much as you can and tell helen that her duty to her father's memory requires that she should not neglect her father's friends and now good-night charles come to us as often as you can and god bless you my dear boy by this advice young mowbray determined to act and wishing to escape any discussion upon lesser points he avoided all tete-a-tete conversations with his mother kept as much out of mr cartwright's way as possible turned his back upon the serious attorney whenever he met him and devoted his time to walking reading and singing with miss torrington and his sister helen while waiting to receive the news of his appointment when this should arrive he determined once more to see his mother in private and settle with her on the best footing he could the amount and manner of his future supplies this interval which lasted nearly a month was by no means an unhappy one to charles he had great confidence in the judgment of sir gilbert harrington and being much more inclined to believe in his mother's affection than to doubt it he resolutely shut his eyes upon whatever was likely to annoy him and gave himself up to that occupation which beyond all others enables a man or a woman either to overlook and forget every other namely the making love from morning to night the manner in which this undeclared but very intelligible devotion of the heart was received by the fair object of it was such perhaps as to justify hope though it by no means afforded any certainty that the feeling was returned even helen who fully possessed her brother's confidence and had hitherto as she believed fully possessed the confidence of rosalind also even helen knew not very well what to make of the varying symptoms which her friend's heart betrayed that miss torrington took great pleasure in the society of mr mowbray it was impossible to doubt and that she wished him to find pleasure in hers was equally clear his favourite songs only were those which she practised in his absence and sang in his presence he rarely praised a passage in their daily readings which she might not by means of a little watching be found to have read again within the next twenty-four hours the feeble winter blossoms from the conservatory of which he made her a daily offering might be seen preserved on her toilet in a succession of glasses and only removed at length by a remonstrance from her maid who assured her that stale flowers were unwholesome though to be sure coming out of that elegant conservatory did make a difference no doubt 
yet even then the bouquet of a week old was not permitted to make its exit till some aromatic leaf or still green sprig of myrtle had been drawn from it and deposited somewhere or other where its pretty mistress perhaps never saw it more but which nevertheless prevented her feeling that she had thrown the flowers he had given her on sunday in the breakfast-room or on monday in the drawing-room etc 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 quite away yet with all this it was quite impossible that charles or even helen who knew more of these little symptomatic whims than he did could feel at all sure what rosalind's answer would be if mr mowbray made her a proposal of marriage from time to time words dropped from rosalind indicative of her extreme disapprobation of early marriages both for women and men and declaring that there was nothing she should dread so much as forming a union for life with a man too young to know his own mind when asked by charles at what age she conceived it likely that a man might attain this very necessary self-knowledge she answered with a marked emphasis decidedly not till they are many years older than you are mr mowbray even to her own heart rosalind would at this time have positively denied not only that she loved charles mowbray but that charles mowbray loved her she was neither insensible nor indifferent to his admiration or to the pleasure he took in her society but she had heard charles's judgment of her on her arrival more than once repeated in jest he had said that she was neither so amiable as helen nor so handsome as fanny to both of these opinions she most sincerely subscribed and with such simple and undoubting acquiescence that it was only when she began to read in his eyes the legible i love you that she remembered his having said it then her woman's heart told her that inferior though she might be it was not her husband that must be the first to discover it and superior as he was which she certainly was not disposed to deny it was not with such disproportionate excellence that she should be most likely to form a happy union had mowbray guessed how grave and deeply seated in rosalind's mind were the reasons which would have led her decidedly to refuse him this flowery portion of his existence would have lost all its sweetness it was therefore favourable to his present enjoyment that confident as he felt of ultimately possessing the fortune to which he was born he determined not to propose to rosalind till his mother had consented to assure him an independence as undoubted as her own the sweet vapour of hope therefore the incense with which young hearts salute the morning of life enveloped him on all sides and pity is it that the rainbow-tinted mist should ever be blown away from those who like him are better as well as happier for the halo that so surrounds them many a storm is preceded by a calm many a gay and happy hour only gives the frightful force of contrast to the misery that follows it mr cartwright having once and again received the plighted faith of mrs mowbray for the present confined his operations solely to the gentle task of urging her to hasten his happiness and the assurance of eternal salvation to all her family but here though the obstacles he had to encounter were of a soft and malleable nature easily yielding to the touch and giving way at one point they were yet difficult to get rid of altogether for they were sure to swell up like dough and meet him again in another place thus when he proved to the pious widow that heaven could never wish her to delay her marriage till her year of mourning was out seeing that its honour and glory would be so greatly benefited and increased thereby she first agreed perfectly in his view of the case as so put but immediately placed before him the violent odium which they should have to endure from the opinion of the world and then when his eloquence had convinced her that it was sinful for those who put not their faith in princes nor in any child of man to regulate their conduct by such worldly considerations though she confessed to him that as their future associations would of course be wholly and solely among the elect she might perhaps overcome her fear of what her neighbours and unregenerate acquaintances might say yet nevertheless she doubted if she could find courage to send orders to her milliner and dressmaker for coloured suits even of a sober and religious tint as it was so very short a time since she had ordered her half-mourning 
it was more difficult perhaps to push this last difficulty aside than any other for mr cartwright could not immediately see how to bring the great doctrine of salvation to bear upon it however though the lady had not yet been prevailed upon to fix the day and even at intervals still spoke of the eligibility of waiting till the year of mourning was ended yet on the whole he had no cause to complain of the terms on which he stood with her and very wisely permitted the peace of mind which he himself enjoyed to diffuse itself benignly over all the inhabitants of the park and the vicarage henrietta who throughout the winter had been in too delicate a state of health to venture out of the house was permitted to read what books she liked at the corner of the parlour fire while mr jacob far from being annoyed by any particular strictness of domestic discipline became extremely like the wind which bloweth where it listeth wandering from farmhouse to farmhouse nay even from village to village without restriction of any kind from his much engaged father fanny however was neither overlooked nor neglected though to have now led her about to little tete-a-tete prayer-meetings in the woods was impossible first the wintry season forbade it and secondly the very particular and important discussions which business rendered necessary in mrs mowbray's dressing-room or as it had lately been designated mrs mowbray's morning parlour must have made such an occupation as difficult as dangerous at these discussions fanny was never invited to appear she prayed in company with her mother and mr cartwright and some of the most promising of the domestics for an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening but the manner in which the interval between these two prayings was spent showed very considerable tact and discrimination of character in the vicar of rexhill soon after the important interview which has been stated to have taken place between the lady of the manor and the vicar had occurred mr cartwright having met fanny on the stairs in his way to her mamma's morning parlour asked her with even more than his usual tender kindness whether he might not be admitted for a few minutes into her study for it was thus that her dressing-room was now called by as many of the household as made a point of doing everything that mr cartwright recommended oh yes she replied with all the zealous piety which distinguishes the sect to which she belonged whenever their consent is asked to do or suffer anything that nobody else would think it proper to do or suffer oh yes will you come now mr cartwright yes my dear child it is now that i wish to come and in another moment the vicar of rexhill and his beautiful young parishioner were sitting tete-a-tete on the sofa of the young lady's dressing-room as usual with him on all such occasions he took her hand fanny he began dear precious fanny you know not how much of my attention how many of my thoughts are devoted to you oh mr cartwright how very very kind you are to think of me at all you must listen to me fanny he still retained her hand you must now listen to me with very great attention you know i think highly of your abilities indeed i have not scrupled to tell you it was my opinion that the lord had endowed you with great powers for his own especial service and glory that last hymn fanny confirms and strengthens me in this blessed belief and i look upon you as a chosen vessel but my child we must be careful that we use and not abuse this exceeding great mercy and honour your verses fanny are sweet to my ear as the songs of the children of israel to those who are carried away captive but not for me not for me alone or for those who like me can taste the ecstasy inspired by holy song has that power been given unto you the poor the needy those of no account in the reckoning of the proud they have all my dearest fanny a right to share in the precious gift bestowed on you wherefore i am now about to propose to you a work to which the best and the holiest devote their lives but on which you have never yet tried your young strength i mean my dearest child the writing of tracts for the poor oh mr cartwright do you really think it possible that i can be useful in such a blessed way 
i am sure you may my dear fanny and you know this will be the means of doing good both to the souls and bodies of the saints for what you shall write will not only be read to the edification and salvation of many christian souls but will be printed and sold for the benefit either of the poor and needy or for the furthering such work and undertakings as it may be deemed most fit to patronize and assist oh mr cartwright if i could be useful in such a way as that i should be very thankful only i have a doubt here the bright countenance of fanny became suddenly overclouded she even trembled and turned pale what is it my dear child that affects you thus said the vicar with real surprise tell me my sweet fanny what have i said to alarm you if i do this said fanny her voice faltering with timidity shall i not seem to be trusting to works do you mean because the writings of authors are called their works said mr cartwright very gravely no mr cartwright she replied colouring from the feeling that if so good and holy a man could quiz she should imagine that he was now quizzing her no mr cartwright but if i do this and trust to get saving grace as a reward for the good i may do will not this be trusting to works my dear child he said gently kissing her forehead such tenderness of conscience is the best assurance that what you will do will be done in a right spirit then fear not dear fanny that those things which prove a snare to the unbeliever should in like manner prove a snare to the elect again fanny mowbray trembled alas then i may still risk the danger of eternal fire by this thing for am i of the elect the vicar knew that mrs mowbray was waiting for him and fearing that this long delay might have a strange appearance he hastily concluded the conversation by exclaiming with as much vehemence as brevity you are you are End of chapter 12